born in weary land where many a dream has died. Like a tree planted by the water, we never will run dry. So living water flowing through, God, we thirst for more of you. Fill our hearts and flood our souls with one desire. Just to know you and to make you know me, lift your name on high, shine like the sun, make darkness run and hide. We know we were made for so much more. Everybody. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not, as always. Um, if you'd like to stand with us, we'll begin. And uh, let's go to our Father. Father, you did all to bring us into your kingdom. And I also believe you did all just to get us out of bed and bring us into church today. So 
pray that our time would be added to by your grace and that we would be just put in a position where we can be susceptible and sensitive to the grace that you're applying to us today and help us to have ears that hear, minds that understand, and hearts that believe. And may Jesus be made all in all. Pray for our pastor. We thank you for the gift that he is and the gift of your word being preached. And uh, anything else that we have within us that we're worried and concerned about, I pray that you would nullify those fears today and help us on to you by faith. Show us where we're at with you. Show us what's next with you. And glorify your name as you sanctify your word in our hearts and build these up. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Every heart proclaims 
seat everyone. It's great to see you guys. Hope everybody's doing well. We had a little scare last week, didn't we, with the snow? But I have a feeling that um, it was just a scare and not, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Got to dismiss the kids. So kids, you are dismissed if you haven't been dismissed already. There we go. Thanks, Rich. Um, so anyhow, um, back to the weather. Well, there, there's other topics that we can talk about today beyond the weather, and uh, I think one of the most important topics is one that we've been uh, expanding on as we've been following uh, Jesus through the book of Luke and going to different places w alongside him. And one of the places where we've landed, of course, is at the Sermon on the Plain which is kind of a condensed version of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you guys must like sermons because you keep coming back. Uh, and you guys online as well keep showing up. Uh, so hopefully that's a good thing because I think a lot of us, a lot of us don't like to be preached to or preached at. And I try to be very careful with that, of course. Uh, but, you know, sometimes uh, when we hear the Word of God, it has a wonderful way of making us angry, but at the same time calling us into correction. And in the end, we're grateful, aren't we? Because it puts us on a better path. And I think that's why we do come back for sermons, and hopefully the messengers, as they offer uh, messages like today, are faithful to what that Word is. Uh, so just to make sure that we are in alignment, uh, uh, let's just uh, take this moment and let's sanctify what is about to be said and do so online if we can as well. Lord, we are grateful that as we come into a place like this, it is the meeting of the horizontal of this earth and the relationships that we have with the vertical of you established on your throne and we thank you that you are King of kings and you are Lord of lords. And you are high above all. You are in authority over all. And everything that we have to contend with on the horizontal level, day in and day out, the worries, the concerns, the fears, the, the politics of the day, all of those things we know are under your sovereign care. And as your people, we trust that no matter what, you are faithful and you're watching over us and you're helping us through things that otherwise we would be overwhelmed by. And so, Father, as an act of gratitude, we bring our hearts before you today in worship. 
And we ask, Lord, that you help us to be the people that you call us to be in this season. First of all, the people that we need to be to and for each other. And then the people that we need to be for a broken and lost world. And, Father, our hearts and our minds are like instruments that need to be tuned to you. And as we offer ourselves in a spirit of openness to receive your word, we ask, Lord, that you give us the heart and the mind to be in that space and that posture uh, to do so well. So as we uh, prepare to pray the Lord's Prayer, Father, help the substance of every line of that prayer to define us more and more. And we thank you, Father. And Lord, just help us to pray now as you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, today we're going to be looking at another part of the sermon that Jesus gave uh, to that group of people that were right at the foot of the mountain that he had uh, prayed on the night before, all night. And it was such a powerful sermon that I think... Uh, uh, as people heard it, uh, some were convicted, some were convert, uh, uh, converted, uh, some were encouraged. Um, There's a whole cross-section of effects that it had, but nonetheless, it had the effect that it was supposed to have on the people that heard it. And I believe that as we've been going through this sermon, it's been having an effect on me. Uh, and it's not always been easy to hear these words because in so many ways I fall short. And I know as you've taken them seriously as well, they've probably not been easy to digest either. Um, but we are in a moment where I think that um, there are so many things that we can't control that are happening in the world around us. We can't control global politics. We can't control uh, concerns that people have for the environment. We can't control... Uh, racism or sexism or all the things that are happening in that realm, we can't control so many things that are forces outside of us. I mean, a lot of times I can't even control my dog. So uh, that's how helpless we feel sometimes. And yet there are things that God says you can control and you need to attend to, and that is things that have to do with our heart where our heart is at any given moment, and how that space is affected by the world that we live in and the Word of God uh, that starts to inhabit that heart in a way that changes everything. And as Jesus is giving this sermon, he's looking at the crowd of people. And in that crowd, he sees 12 apostles who are going to be the very foundation of the church. And this word is primarily for them. But as he's saying it, he's also looking at the rest of the crowd because we know that at the end of the sermon it says that um, uh, he, he, was, he was speaking to the crowd, but at the beginning he's speaking to them. And essentially what he's saying is we don't, let me, let me, do, let me work on my grammar a little bit because um, 
we're not able to do relationships very well. And I, I think that when we take God out of the equation of our lives and how he influences how we relate to each other, that's clearly a given. But it's whenever we have God in our relationships that uh, we're saying we want to be better at what we do. And Jesus wants to create a community that is really good at having a good relationship with him and with each other. And the subject matter that we're getting into today is one that uh, it's not easy to talk about. It's one of those things that I think is underneath the surface almost every day of our lives. And it has a lot to do with why our relationships work or why they don't work. And Jesus says, we have to work on this. And it's a little bit uh, complicated, but not so complicated that we can't understand it. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to take a look at the book of of Luke. And uh, we're going to be turning to chapter 6 again and exploring uh, the part of the sermon that we find in verses 37 to 42. And in those verses, uh, we see something that um, is a familiar statement. Do not judge. Um, Anybody ever heard that before? Anybody like to be judged? Anybody ever judged anybody else? (laughs) Okay. A couple people have judged. Other people are like, nah, I never judge anybody. I'm I'm good. So, well, um, there is a confessional in the back. Um, I'll be there from... uh, Five to uh, eight this evening, you can come and confess uh, your your propensity to not tell the truth. But I'm not judging, so I know this is a dad joke. Um, so let's let's move on. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So this is very relational, isn't it? Um, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Wait a minute, what, what's, what's that have to do with money? But I'm not sure he's talking about money specifically in this case. I think he is talking about relationships again, even though giving and, and, uh, and uh, giving generously does overlap into that. But we're talking about how we relate, okay? For with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also then told him a parable, and it goes like this. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And I'm sure that Jesus in that crowd had opponents who were saying, we're writing this down, and we're taking this back to central headquarters to find out ways that we can, well, we can, we can, we can convict you of doing something that defies um, uh, the principles of the religious leaders who were opposing him. <laughs> I'm sure this was a little bit of a stumper, like, what's he talking about here? Where's he going with this? So then he, he, he's pretty clear here. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, 
and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, Jesus had prayed all night about this sermon, and the things that he's speaking of actually, I think, are primary themes that will define what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a church-like community here on out. And the reason I know this is because a lot of things that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches, especially the church of Corinth, had to do with the theme of judging. Uh, and Rich and I were talking about this uh, uh, the other day, and, and I think it was in 1 Corinthians chapters uh, 4 and 5. Uh, it's pretty fraught with information about people in the churches not really relating well and, as an effect, having a good testimony for people around them. Uh, but then there's uh, the book of James, which is actually a commentary on this whole sermon and the Sermon on the Mount. But let's just, let's just stick to the point for now and move back up to the beginning of, the, uh, of, 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 of this part of the sermon again with that, with that statement. He says, do not judge. But here's the question. Is it ever, is it ever right to judge? And you're thinking, this is a trick question. Um, in a sense, it, it, it kind of is. Because that's a, that's a word that actually has some different nuanced meanings. And that's why we get into trouble with it. So let me ask you another question. If you're not sure about this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you are witnessing somebody you love and care about, make poor decisions. Anybody ever have that? Okay, so what, what do you do? What do you do about that? How do you respond? What does love require of you? And that really is the big question that looms in the background of this text because the statement that Jesus made is, do not judge. And is he saying that if we see somebody doing something that is going to be destructive for themselves and maybe for people around them, should we just not say anything and potentially offend them? What does love require? What if it were my kid? What would I do? What if it were God's kids? What would they do? How would God speak to us? And that really is what is in play here because... I think that we can just take a lump sum, do not judge, and just say, you know, you live your life, I'll live my life. You be who you are, and I'll be who I am, and, and it's all good. But can we really leave it at that? And so I think we have to kind of ask another question. Because judgment, I think you, you kind of, if you don't have language for it yet, I think you see where this is going. There are actually um, two kinds of judgment because there's a, there, there's a question here. What is the difference between judging as discernment and judging as condemnation? Now, let me just tell you a story about whenever I was a, a little kid, and I have an older sister who uh, was the middle child, and our personalities are pretty different. She was the, she was the one in our family who was on top of everything, and she kind of liked to be in control of everything, uh, especially whenever she was having to babysit me. And I was kind of the kid that had problems with 
boundaries because I was just curious and I was always just, you know, pressing the issue a little bit and not always listening to my older sister. So if you can only imagine, there's a little bit of tension that existed between us as a result of that. But one day after she got her driver's license, she came home and my dad's uh, 1963 Thunderbird, which was kind of like his pride and joy. And I noticed when she got out of the car that there was a big scrape on the bottom of the door that wasn't on there when she left. And I felt like I had a responsibility here to do something about it. Because clearly, clearly, she was unaware. And so I basically said when she got out of the car in my fourth grade level of maturity, Dad's not going to be happy when he sees that. <laughs> and she said, I didn't do that. And I'm like, oh, this is going to get real interesting. So dad comes home, and I'm like, I have to say this only because it's important that we clarify what happened here and who's responsible and who needs to be accountable. And I told my dad, I said, you might want to look at your car. And he goes out and he looks at the car, and he's, I can see he's fuming. He goes into the house and um, asks my sister what happened, and, and she kind of denied it. And then there's me in the corner eating popcorn, enjoying the moment. <laughs> and then telling her after he left, you should never have done that. You should learn to drive better. You should be more responsible in your driving. I'm just here to be helpful to you, sister, in helping you to improve your game because clearly you have some work to do in your driving skills. You can imagine how well that was received, right? <laughs> Basically, all it did was escalate the tensions that her and I had at that point. And um, it, it was kind of an arms war for a little while after that. Now, of course, we both kind of grown up, and we, we love each other dearly. I can, I can sincerely say that and, and have our backs for everything. And she's actually returned kindness to me whenever she didn't have to many, many times. So I'm not sure who the more mature one is in the end of the day. But there's an issue here, isn't there? Because judging as discerning, what was being discerned here? Uh, there's a car door that needs repaired, and there's a sister who needs to learn how to drive. Um, and then there's judging as condemnation, like, yeah, I can't wait to see her get her comeuppance for crossing the line with my dad's car. There's some unhealthy stuff going on here for sure. But there is something about the discernment that maybe will make a little bit more sense with, uh, you know, another story. And that is you, you, have a, you have a child that is starting to show a tendency to do something that, um, that isn't healthy. And um, I'm not going to name names or children or anything like that, but let's say one of them discovers fire. And you realize that this could get them in trouble once they start, you know, go from lighting off firecrackers to discovering what gasoline is capable of doing. And do you say anything out of love? Or do you say to the child, man, I just hope they figure it out. Um, but I'm discerning something here that probably needs to be redirected. And I think if you have children, all of us know that there is a process of assessing what your child is doing 
in terms of their strengths and their capabilities and their moral, their moral compass and how it is that you play a role in influencing them to calibrate that in a healthier way. You do have to be discerning, don't you? You have to judge in, in, in one sense what is happening here and what do I need to do about it. And with your child, a lot of it is at stake for sure because you're thinking about the destiny of this child. And maybe if you're like me, you're thinking if they do really well, they can support me in my old age in a way of life that I should be accustomed to. But all kidding aside, when you look at your child, you're, you, you love that child, and you say, what does love require of me to do? But you're also asking the question, how do I do it well and effectively? And Jesus is aware that this is sort of going on. I mean, it's already been happening. I mean, imagine picking 12 people, and one of them is a zealot, and one of them is a tax collector. And the two people have history and baggage. And they have reason to, I'm not going to use the word hate, but strongly dislike each other and be condemning towards one another and name-calling. And Jesus said, you're going to be part of my group. Hey, hey. And I'm sure they were looking at, the tax collector looked at the zealot. The zealot looks at the tax collector. And then there's the fishermen over here. And they're just like, and they're thinking, we don't know how this is going to work until they look over here and they see Jesus. And then they step back, and they're like, that's the only way this is going to work. And so Jesus knows he has a, a voice with the people here. And he knows this is a problem that is, that is happening with people, and it will happen between these two parties or maybe these three parties or maybe all 12 at some point where they're calling each other out for the things that are a deviation from the values that Jesus is teaching and calling each other back into line. And some of them aren't doing it with a very good attitude. And Jesus is just being preemptive here. He's basically saying, hey, the Romans are running roughshod over our people. The economy isn't that great right now. We have day in and day out concerns about exploitation of our, our income. We have people that don't like us that are religious that are starting to hone in on what we're doing. We've got a lot of things that are happening outside of us that are concerning. But you know what he's saying? Let's work on the things in here a little bit before we tackle that stuff. I think a lot of people just want to tackle that stuff. It's easy to judge what other people are doing. It's not so easy to judge ourselves in a constructive way. Because I, I, I believe that there are some people, um, it's easy to judge. It just comes naturally. Matter of fact, I would say your brain may even give you a dopamine reward every time you do it. And there are other people like my mom, who is an enabler, and it's just grace, 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 grace. And, you know, 
I've even had to tell her, Mom, you're enabling. You're showing too much grace. You need to, you need to be firmer. And so it's, it's really how do we keep from going too far one way where we're not really even acknowledging that there's something there and going the other way and acknowledging every little thing that is there. And I think Jesus is trying to help us to get a handle on this because we got to get along for the long haul. And so what is judging as discernment? Well, here's a definition that I, I would just like to operate under as we uh, take a look at these two ideas from the word judging. And the first one is, one is just making an appropriate assessment of someone or something. If you're an employee and you've got if you're an employer and you have employees, you have to have an evaluation and you have to say, you know what, uh, this is what we need to do to make it work a little better. And it's not that you're trying to be hateful or judgmental. You're just saying, here's some areas to work on. And same with kids. You say, you know, you've kind of hit the wall on your learning a little bit. Let's push it a little bit more. And let's see if you can do it. And there's a sense of making an appropriate assessment of where somebody's at is at. And in this case, moving them forward to where they could potentially be. Because in the background of this whole problem that is happening with judging is Jesus looking at us and I'm sure shaking his head many times and saying, we've got work to do here. Well, part of, the, part of the responsibility here is just delineating between making appropriate judgments that are kind of like assessments of someone or something just to get a baseline on where they're at. But then the other kind of judging that he, he does have in mind here is how it is that we condemn because did you notice that Jesus uses those two words, judging and condemning? And so we have to look at judging as condemnation. Well, in the case of relationships that are, that are on this plane, it really is about coming to hasty conclusions about someone else's actions or motives or behaviors without taking the time to get all the facts. I think this is where we get into trouble. This is where I've gotten into trouble. And it's humbling when you think you've got the story straight in your head and then you ask a few more questions and then you're like, oh, maybe I guess I didn't understand that after all. And so we have to be very careful that we don't move into this space where we, we keep jumping to these conclusions and you may be saying, well, maybe I don't want to. <laughs> maybe it's too hard. Maybe I don't have time. But what's at stake is something that I, I have to underscore the significance. Because we have to be careful about condemning other people if we're planning on being in community with them. We have to live with them. Now, with some churches, you can just check out. You can just say, okay, I've been offended or it's gone too far. I'm out. Other people are like, no, I want to work through it. And I hope that the people that I'm working through this with 
share the view that when we're looking at each other, we're also looking at the Lord. And we're asking the question, Lord, what would you have me do? Now, that kind of community, I think, will work. But if the community is only about you versus me, us versus them, I don't think there's any hope. Because invariably, we'll fall into that. But this is kind of interesting in and of itself in looking at these two definitions. Because Jesus is looking at the potential future of everything that is about his, his, his good news. He's looking at the future of the church, and he's saying, oh, man, I've got my work cut out for me, and I hope they're taking notes because they need to be discerning. And he said elsewhere, you know, you need to, you, you need to uh, understand things and people by their fruit. Look at the fruit, and you'll know where they're coming from. That's discerning. He says that in John. You also need to recognize when you're too hasty to make a judgment about something when you haven't taken the time to find out what's going on. And as Jesus is unfolding this for us, um, he says that there's some big challenges here. Applying this to the everyday now, you guys are in church. It's Sunday morning, and it's pretty easy to behave in church, isn't it? But it's the other six and a half days that God actually is kind of worried about because we leave here, and if people know that you go to First Christian Church, some people are even asking the question, what is it like to go to First Christian Church? And the question underneath that question is, what is it like to follow Jesus? And so people are watching, and they're noticing, bless you, and they're paying attention. And for some people, it's like, I want more of that. But I've actually had people say this to me, and I've heard other pastors say, they've had people say that to them, you have some people that go to church that when you look at kind of like their lives in, in this setting, you would think that they were in full agreement with everything that we're talking about. But when they get online, I'm not sure that's the same person. And that's a little concerning for me because honestly... How hard is it to be judging towards other people when you're looking at a screen and you're not looking at the person face-to-face? -face? And not only that, you can be uninhibited by that screen. And you can say whatever comes to mind unfiltered, responsibly, not responsibly, responsibly to whatever it is that you don't like. And there's something about that uninhibited state and that anonymity that I think brings out the worst in people sometimes. 
And if there's one thing that we can control, what did we say at the beginning of the message? It's our heart. Or we need to. And so I guess my, my sidebar homework for you guys is when I'm on social media or when I'm weighing in on something, is this the kind of thing that I would want to see from a believer if I was that person asking questions? My life is a mess. I need answers. I wish I knew there was a better way. But so-and-so I know goes to church. Don't know them well, but I'm going to check out their social media and see what they say. Oh, well, that's the same stuff that I get elsewhere. That must not be the place that I want to go. Now, here's my question. Do you want to be that person? Do you want to be that person? Now, I don't do social media because I have my own reasons Part of it is I just ha I don't have enough bandwidth for that on top of everything else I've got going on in my life. But a lot of you do, and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do it. I'm just saying if you do, do do social media, think about what we're talking about today. If you're going to curate anything on social media, don't curate a fake version of who you would like people to think you are. Curate a true version of who you are in Christ. A lot depends on it. So that's an area of existence that many people have. And if you're there, be the voice of the Lord. Well, I'll stop meddling, and I'll get back to preaching. So here we go. Our two biggest challenges in this day and age, based on this passage of Scripture, is knowing how to speak into somebody's life and when not to. Because if I love somebody and, they, and they're going down the wrong road and they're making decisions that are spiritually, financially, relationally going to wind up in a place that isn't good, do I not say anything so I don't, don't offend them? What would you do? And what if you do say something? Then there's another question. How do I say it? And that's the second part, knowing how to speak into somebody's life as we try to speak the truth in love. Always speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 15, if you need a reference. When do you say it and how do you say it? Because there are times, actually, when a person is not ready to receive it. They are too wound up. They are in that space where all you'll get back is a pretty harsh reaction for even mentioning it. And that's where I think you have to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and help you out. Oh, I forgot about the Holy Spirit because through Jesus' ministry, who came upon him after his baptism? Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, when people were baptized, what did it say? You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one game changer in all of this for you and I, guys. 
He is the one who enables us to speak the truth in love. He is the one who helps us to not condemn other people. He is the one who actually bears the fruit of the Spirit. You remember the fruit of the Spirit? Love and joy, getting even, vengeance. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Not true in case you're new to it. Um, but it's in Galatians uh, chapter 3. Look it up. Um, so uh, as, um, a- as we're reading this text, Jesus goes into a parable. And I, I want to explore that for just a second. Because as I think you're getting a handle on this, I hope, um, he says something that is sort of provocative. Uh, let's just back up a little bit to the, um, to, 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 the, to the second and third slide, if we can, Connor. He also told them in the parable, can a blind lead the blind? We'll both fall into a pit. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, everyone who is fully trained, and you're being trained right now, hopefully, with the word of God, to be like who? Jesus. But then there's this weird saying that I think summarizes it well. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? So, Susie, I don't know if you wear contacts or not, but you need to do something about that thing in your eye. While at the same time, I don't have, I don't have a plank. I have a guitar in my eye. Susie, Susie, Susie. Whoa. Oh. Okay, so just being a little silly, I'm sorry if I wrecked somebody's guitar. Uh, see my wife about payment. Okay. Um, do I have credibility to tell you you have a speck in your eye when that thing is in my eye? I have no credibility whatsoever. And then what does Jesus say to capture credibility? Take it out of your eye. Do a little bit of self-critique, self-discernment. I'm not saying self-condemnation, because a lot of people condemn themselves in this room. Self-evaluation. How, how am I doing? How does Jesus call me to live? And I think speaking the truth in love, filled with grace and truth, that goes a long way. I've had people say things to me as a pastor that have been harsh and condemning and judgmental. And I've had people say things to me as a pastor that have been discerning. Not always easy to receive, but very helpful. And I've been grateful. And I just pray always that I have the ability to discern the heart of the person that's bringing it. But a lot of times I can tell that person always has a plank in their eye, so I I can't receive it that well. That person, on the other hand, they got a heart of gold. They got Jesus' heart. I, I, I need to pay attention to that. And what Jesus is saying is don't judge here. He's saying take the time to do your heart work so that we can actually build up one another. Because at the end of the day, Jesus came into the world, John says, filled with grace and with truth. And it basically was truth bundled up in grace. And here's two illustrations as we get ready to land the plane. I'm coming to the approach. Uh, 
one of the staff said the other day, yeah, you said you're almost done and that was 10 minutes later you finally wrapped it up. I'll just say I'm approaching the runway. As we approach the, run the runway, um, we, uh, we're looking at this and, and we're asking the question, what, what, would, what would Jesus have me do here? And how is it that I can leave this room in a better space to be a good witness for the kingdom? Because he uses the word hypocrite there. And he doesn't pull any punches. As a matter of fact, has Jesus ever used the word hypocrite before? And who was he talking to when he did? The Pharisees. And who were the Pharisees? The religious people, right? And he called them a lot of things, didn't he? He was pretty mean to them, to be honest with you. But they were so thick, he just wanted to hit them upside the head with a two-by-four. But he couldn't do that. He was not violent. But he did say, you guys do not see it at all. You're busy judging everybody that you're not taking the time to discern your own life relative to the standard of God. And he's telling his disciples, don't be those people, please. And Jesus came and he's filled with truth because there's nothing about his life that is inconsistent with the word of God or the law of God as we've talked about. But the way he responds to people depends on what people need in the moment. The Pharisees needed a good kick in the backside, and some of them actually came, came around. Then there's good old Matthew, the tax collector. And Jesus knows he's up to no good. And what does he tell him? Hey, Matthew, come and follow me. And Matthew is like, I'm all about it. I'm ready. Let's go. And so Jesus didn't have to be harsh. And Matthew said, I'm going to sell half of the things I have, but I'm just going to, I'm going to dedicate what, those resources to this cause. And Jesus says, that's awesome. There's something about the posture of where we are at relative to where we're at with God. And if you're not right with God, a lot of times you get into that judgmental space. And Jesus will call you out. And sometimes it has to do with you're offering too much grace. You need to step it up and you need to be a little bit more grounded. And so the book of Luke talks about different episodes of different people that dot the landscape that... Some are searching, and some have all the answers already and aren't interested. And I would like to think that the people in this room, and hopefully the people online as well, you're in that, in that group of people that are searching, that you want to know what the right thing is to do. You want to have your heart in that place that is, is, is pleasing to the Lord. And you want to be able to judge other people in a discerning way, speaking the truth of love and knowing how to do it and when to do it well. Am I right? And the beautiful thing about what drives you to do that is because Jesus looked at each of you and he said, you are sinners, no question about it. 
but I love you so much. I'm going to speak the truth into your world, and that is you need a Savior. You need a Redeemer. You need someone to set you on the right path, and you need to change your ways. But I am also going to do so bundled with grace. My guess is if Jesus looked at your life and mine and he cataloged everything about you and I that wasn't in order with God's law and, and way of life and way of thinking, it would be a pretty long list, right? And what I found as a believer for many, many years is God takes a few things and he says, Leonard, we're going to work on this right now. I'm not going to overwhelm you with everything. We're just going to work on a few things. And I want you to get a handle on this so we can work on a few more. And I'm not saying that you need to work your way into salvation. You've already been saved by my blood on a, on a cross that was, a, that was an instrument of forgiveness for you. That's not what the point is here. I want you to be transformed into a new way of life. And it starts with basically saying, I believe that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and I give allegiance to him and him alone, to identifying with the body of Christ by being baptized in, in, the, in the waters of baptism and being drawn out of that and being promised to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to enable you to do those things that you couldn't do otherwise and to become a new human being. And much of what we do isn't saying step up your game, but rather tune into what God's already doing in your life. And that's different because the Holy Spirit is enabling you to do those things if you're paying attention. And really all you have to do is ask, Lord, help me to tune into what you're doing in my life so that I can honor you in ways that I haven't before. That's different than saying, I got I to get better at this. I got I to gotta work harder at this. I, 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 me, me, me. No. It's God in you that makes it happen. It's God in you that keeps you from judging people, helps you to bite your tongue, helps you to step back, helps you to get discernment. It's God in you that makes that happen. And so as we end the sermon today, plane has landed, God may be calling you where you're at to move into that next space. And it may be that decision that you've been putting off to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And then to identify with so many of us through the waters of baptism and then receiving the Holy Spirit and being transformed. And if you haven't gone through that experience, we are here to offer that to you today. And I just pray, and we pray every morning before we, you guys gather that things like that can happen in this space. But I also pray for those of you who are judgmental to say, help me to be discerning rather than condemning. And I pray for those of you who are extenders of grace beyond even saying anything, Lord, help me to stop worrying about being offended and help me to love that person sometimes with words that they don't always want to hear, but help me to speak the truth in love. Well, I have plenty of notes, but I'll tell you what, Rich has got a whole lot more to say about this after our worship gathering today. If you want to learn more, um, he's explored it in, 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 in great detail, and I've, I've appreciated that. But at the end of the day, don't be judgmental, 
Don't condemn. Be discerning. But in all things, be loving. Here's my, here's my bottom line phrase. Let's just go to the last slide if we can. Connor McGregor Jones. A rule to follow on judging. Before we ever speak into anybody's life, we have to first ask God to speak into ours. Would you pray with me? Father, we are in that posture of wanting to hear your voice. Please speak into ours regarding any matters that we have, points of conflict or disagreement, points of judging with other people. Speak into our hearts so that we can be in that good place to say, if we need to say, anything that is what love requires. Not what ego requires, not what my desire requires, but what your love requires. I pray for our people, Lord, that we would grow in this area and we'd be the community that we are called to be as you have called people at that sermon to be those people as well. May we be in harmony with those intentions as we surrender our lives to you. I just pray for anyone here, Lord, that you've been working in their heart, that they would take those steps towards baptism, confession, and receiving of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be discerning where you're moving there as well. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we, uh, as we take of our communion, um, I think it's good to, this is a good place to get to the cross and that what we remember while we, while we think of the body and the blood and think of the bread and the wine, um, what he did in that place was accomplish the fact that Paul could tell us that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It doesn't exist for it. Every drop has been poured on Christ on the cross. And that's what we celebrate. That's why the cross is so significant. And um, so I think that can help us be a little loose-handed with the, our judgments and our condemnations. And Jesus also said at the end of the text today, if you take out the speck, he says, first take out the speck from your eye. Take out the log from your eye. This is communion. This is where that happens. This is a safe place. God says that... Um, this is a safe place that he has created for that very thing to happen. It's before you now. So even if you already took your communion, you can still go to him to in prayer. And we'll give you just a few moments of quiet before we enter into the next song um, to have that space. He says in James um, that he'll give us wisdom without reproach. He'll, he won't judge you for the things that you don't see. So ask him to help you see those things. And Father, thank you. Spirit, I pray that you would lead. And Jesus, would you glorify your name in these people whom you love. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. You can stand whenever you're ready. We'll give you a few moments.
to say is thank you, Lord. It's by your works that we're in your kingdom. 
and it's by your invitation that we could be. So the hand that was stretched out to us today, help us to take by faith, knowing that it's all for your glory and all for our good, and you love us. Some of us here, that's really hard to believe, myself included, but you don't stutter when you say that it is finished and sin is paid for, nor when you say, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. It's a promise. Help us to receive that promise, live by it, and love the one who gave it to us. As you open our eyes to behold you, maybe for the first time, and some of us again and again, all on to glory. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Thank you. Amen. All right. Get your kiddos and we'll see you soon, okay?